Hey, what's good, people? This is episode 181. No, this is episode 180. I think 181 is another ref. Doesn't matter. Who cares? I'm Jason Debeyes. That man is Matt Laveau. That man is Troy Grelier. Grelier. Pugue. Pugue. I'm feeling French. He's feeling Eastern European. He's feeling American. The episode starts right now. What's up, boys? Hey. How you doing? What's up, man? Hey, welcome to the Option Podcast along with Troy and along with Matt. Matt Laveau and Troy get Gravit. Gravet. I'm Jason DeBeas and we are ready. You guys, you got a whole bunch of questions, but um I'm gonna be a little selfish and I'd like to ask some questions myself first. What? Um are both of you guys former players? Yep. Yes. Yeah. I played in high school at a smaller Christian school, and then uh, I was a libero at Northridge. Oh, Northridge boy. The cool kid school. Yep. Yep. That's the cool kid school. And you? I was a uh, three-sport athlete at Torrance High. I played football, soccer, and volleyball. And then I went to El Camino uh, Community College, and I played football and volleyball there. Wow. When did you graduate um, Torrance? Torrance 08, El Camino 10, and then I went to Long Beach State. Did not play there, uh, but I graduated, got my degree there in 2012. Cool guys, nice, excellent, dude. Yeah, so, and I played other sports in high school as well: basketball, soccer, mm. a little bit of football, yep. baseball. When did you graduate, Northridge? Uh, two thousand eight. Oh, that was when um Trambley was there, right? Yeah. So my red shirt year was Trambley and Billy Allen's uh, senior year. What a dude! Is that not uh, the cool? Is that not the cool kid school though? Is, so I, right? I was on the team with both of them, and then uh, Conover came, and he was there in 05 with me. Right, and then you got Jay Check after you, my guy yep. from Queens, New York, uh, seven footer. You got, of course, Greg Faulkner, the immortal beloved. Right, everybody loves Greg. Greg, I think we we're, we're all like a six degrees of separation is that not is that not like the kevin bacon of the south bay volleyball is a small small world man we all we all seem to I know did. each other at some point or another now when i was at lumby state the crab brothers were there didn't really know him then yeah. but now you know interact with them well and know him pretty well and and you know it all ties together nice i think volleyball we could cut it down to like three maybe even four Oh my God, look at this. Questions are still coming in. Let's give, let's give the people what they want. <laughs> I think, yeah, we should. You know what the hell? That's the ask. This is from Charles Discus. He says, ask. I got one. He says, ask if they have ever erroneously called hands for looking different than previous sets by the same player, despite the set still being clean. I'll let Matt do you guys understand I'll, that yeah, question? I'll, I'll let Matt take this one. I don't even. Do you the, even get that uh, question? He, he's notorious uh, for for these. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where players kind of get on you about if the whistle is a little bit late. So mm. you see something a little bit different going in, and you kind of you jump the gun a little bit. I'm not going to lie; it has happened before. Uh, we're all human. We as much as we don't want to admit it, and in the moment, we we do make mistakes and. You know, sometimes it's a little bit easier to just take that half second and maybe be a little bit late with the whistle and truly see how it comes out rather than just, oh, it looks weird going in and I'm going to call this. 
So yes, I have definitely called a hands based on where they took it or how they took it as opposed to what actually happened with the contact. Although we are looking at contact first, it does happen because you don't want to jump the gun too early, but then you don't want the whistle to be too late because then you get questioned by the players, right? Right. But we also look for consistency in setting too. So we see the same set over and over and over again by the same player and all of a sudden they do something maybe a little bit different and it catches our attention. And that's where we need to be a little bit more patient just to make sure that it was a clean set. Because remember, the, the, it's, we're looking at the contact of the actual ball to the player's hands. And it doesn't matter actually where their hands are. It's, it's where the con, not where the contact point is, but what the actual contact is between the hands and the ball. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, okay, my, my question in between, because um, I've, I've done a little bit of refereeing, but just for cash, what, New York Urban, whatever, and this and that, you're up there by yourself, no line judge, no down ref, can't see past the pole, can't see anything, you know, being questioned by a bunch of people who are just weekend warriors, right? So my question is, because um, I've always been told by a lot of refs, double hit. Let's let's explore double for a little bit. Double hit is a, not about how it comes out, but how it comes in. Yes, and we are trained, and the more reps you get, the better you become at just be, at just becoming laser focused on the player's hands and how they contact the ball. Right. And we're actually watching it both come in and come out because actually the slippage can happen coming in or coming out, right? Right. Um, but as but now of course with FIVB coming down high and quick, you know that kind of thing, but eliminating the catch ball. So we just got to be laser focused. And also as a referee, remember that a player can be positioned. They can be looking at you. They can be looking away from you towards your partner. And every single angle that they take, we're going to see something different. Because a player that's running straight at you, you're going to be able to see their hands open up. Or if they're running away from you and you see their back, you can see the back of their hands. But sometimes the hardest is if they are, say, shoulder square to the net. One of their hands is going to be behind the ball. And we can't necessarily see it, so those are the tougher ones. Right. But we, yeah, we just we're trained and, and and we stay laser focused on the hands and we try to catch that you know one two, that bobble or the slip that comes through the hands. Right. Hey, um, Matt, something you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I mean it. it it's always the type of thing where it can look a little bit janky sometimes coming out. Um, a lot of people are always commenting that oh that ball had spin. Well, I can take a ball and I can make it spin with one hand. Does that mean that that's a double? Oh, the one-handed double! Oh, yeah. the one-handed double! <laughs> so, so you know, you you kind of gotta you gotta know when you can use that as an explanation, um, because like Troy said, we really are looking at it, and we're stuck in the position that we're at. If we're on that stand, we cannot move. So it's not as though I can take another step out wide to get a different angle on the hand so that I can see that opposite hand or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We're stuck in one position. We got to just go with what we can see from that one spot. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't always work out, but it does help us see most of the stuff, especially dealing with the lines, because mm -hmm. let's be honest, especially at the higher levels, there's a lot of close line plays that we got to be ready for. Yeah. You know, when you said you're stuck in a position, I had this flashback at his commercial of this guy um, or his K&P. Like this guy was does like a gyrating celebration and a referee uh, threatened to flag him. So when he, he was in the end zone, the referee moved up to him and bent like half over like this with the whistle. Like, don't you dare. So I had this picture of one of you guys like jumping off the ladder being like, go ahead and double it, you know. Uh, OK, fun question, guys. Do rep this is an indoor question. Do referees inhale when they see a middle blocker put his hands up to set? 
<laughs> indoor indoor no not anymore uh let's yeah. be honest especially in the men's game they've mm-hmm. taken pretty much all the judgment on double contacts out of our hands um it it's gotten to the point where if it gets so bad that everybody in the gym knows that it's a double then we got to call it and i think we all can recognize that but we're not looking for you know oh there's a middle setting especially nowadays so many of them have played other positions and have been training in the gym and getting those reps and they're not afraid. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was the old, old saying back when I was in high school and, and we were still playing side out scoring, but I don't think that that's something that really comes into mind anymore. No. <laughs> At one point, yeah, we, we'd be holding our breath, just hoping that they wouldn't mangle the ball. So we'd have to make a call. <laughs> but nowadays, I mean, it's, we're almost letting anything go indoor. So yeah. it's, that's kind of the way we're going. I mean, for indoor, you can, in my opinion, you could still call it how it comes in and, and still and still have like a decent, less sloppy game, right? I mean, if, if spin is not, an, in, in fact, is not an, in, uh, a strong indicator of what's a double and what's not, maybe, you know, maybe we'll have a discussion later about side spin that might have a suggestion, right? We're forward and back or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you're. I mean, Matt, you're right, man. Is this? It's kind of been the wild, wild west, but it also seems like at the highest level, like you said, when everything's clean, 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 and then there's a little bit of sloppiness, like you said, you'll hear um, the American Idol judges um, kind of uh, right navigate that and mediate that for <laughs> for um, everybody. It's like, gotcha, guys, <laughs> gotcha. Um, yep. Getting to the subject of spin being an indicator. I've seen Phil literally double, like you said, like you're talking about shoulders to the pole or shoulders to the net or hands to the net. I've literally seen him take in one ball in one hand, out the other, and it comes out spinless. Mm-hmm. And so, that, that happens quite often. And the only people who could ever see it happen or know that it happened mm-hmm. is the referee and the player. Because right. what actually happens is sometimes the ball will come into one hand and then they'll close with the second hand and then it'll come out absolutely clean. Now, technically, is that a double contact? Yeah, because it's a clear one-two, but it comes out perfectly clean. So as referees, and I, Matt, you and I were talking about that, that this weekend, is do we call that or do we not call that? Because who's going to say anything, right, if there's no spin on it? Probably nobody because it's not a catch ball. So people are like, Whoa, that, well, that wasn't egregious. Right. Um, but is it a double contact? Technically, yes. Mm-hmm. But are we should we be calling it? Now, if they over-control it, then yeah, we should be calling that all day long. But if it's something that nobody else would even notice, whether it be the opposing team or the fans or anybody like that, because sometimes that can you know sway people's opinions. You know, the crowd's going crazy, the other team is you know yelling and all this stuff. But sometimes it happens. But sometimes we don't call it because it comes out so clean, and we're like, oh, well, nobody said anything, so play <laughs> nothing, on. <laughs> nothing to see here, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> yeah, and again, that comes down to: Are you waiting that split second and risk? being a little bit late in everybody else's eyes to realize, okay, am I really the only one that saw a ball that bad uh, or that that was illegal? Um, and so you just got to kind of be willing to either bite the bullet one way or the other kind of. Right. Yeah. I um, And you're, and you know, Def, Dave Carson said, um, as far as doubles are concerned, um, he said one of the most high IQ things that, I, that bears repeating and, and, and echoing the sentiment. He said, check with your league. 
And I thought, like me, you know, I'm a bi-coastal brother. I grew up in New York, so, you know, I played a lot of uh, grass in Connecticut, Sherwood, and all that stuff. So, so Sherwood, like Connecticut, grass tournaments back then were like, it's one and a quarter times a second. And I'm like, okay, that's specific, guys. You know, I'm like, let me just spin the ball around and see. I'm going to spin this ball at a very fast, fast pace, and I want you to count to one and tell me <laughs> that that that's okay because what happens is it's going to spin slow right and you're going to call a double but i'm like you know how fast that ball can turn a whole time in one second and it looks like it's spinning like Mm -hmm. a top um and then you have i don't know you have i'll just use Pottstown rumble guys right um big court side out uh, um their rules right no uh, no let serve right so check with your league is important because uh, um in every league you play in, right? There's different rules, like international basketball, right, guys? And, um, I'm going to give you the floor map first on this one. But, right, international basketball, there's no – I don't think there's a three-second defensive violation. Um, and you can goal, you can grab the ball on the cylinder in international basketball, right? right? Yeah. Or you can in the NBA. Yeah, it's, it's always changing from one league to another, it seems like, right? But, yeah, um, your, your thoughts and sentiments on on, on the great Dave Carson, W. Dave, Dave Carson, to uh, about check with your league, uh, Matt. Um, I mean, we, we in essence, kind of have that already because, let's be real, AAU has their own interpretation of what a double is. CBVA Ooh. has their interpretations on how they want it called. AVP were kind of that hybrid of USA versus uh, FIVB. Um, USA is leaning more towards the FIVB. Then you can go indoors and you got NFHS, you got PAVO, you have USA and all these different entities or leagues, if you want to call them that, um, have their own interpretations. And so as an official, you really, you really got to pay attention of, okay, I'm walking into a USA event or I'm walking into a PAVO event or I'm walking into a AVP event. And you got to be ready for that particular rule set. So, you know, that that adage does really add up of ask your league. Troy? Yeah, I'm just going to echo kind of what Matt said. And, and as referees, I mean, nowadays, we have to memorize five or six different rule books, especially if you're working indoor and beach. And depending on maybe what part of the country you're in, what league you're refing, whether it's juniors, whether it's pros, there's going to be a slight difference between all of them. And you just have to get mentally prepared, whether you step in the gym, or you step on the sand every t- every single time you're out there as to who's playing, what am I calling, what are the rule sets? Because there are differences even in beach from like CBVA to ABP uh, to FIVB. So yeah, he's, he's right on about that. And it's always, a, some people might think it's like a scapegoat answer. We'll go check with your league rather than try to explain actually what like a double contact is, what something else is. But no, he's he's exactly right. Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about carry, uh, uh, lift. We were talking about doubles before. Um, but before I do, really cool caveat, reminding our audience and some of the people already know, uh, as far as checking with your league guys, CBVA literally wrote into their rules that you cannot receive serve with an open with an open hand pass, right? Um, educating our, 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 our supposed purist. It was, it's not illegal. It's never been illegal. Even if we're indoor when they changed a double hit, it's just been illegal to double hit or carry it. And really, 
really no one had the the testicular fortitude to do it, right? I have a I have a book actually somewhere behind you called Volleyball Rules and Pictures that actually shows a, a picture of, of of it and whatever. And and look in the nineties, the refs got together and said, look, hey. They're, we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna make up some <laughs> ain't no way <laughs> no we that's not gonna happen so but I just wanted to let everybody know CBVA to their credit because they don't have refs like you refing right uh, CBVA a lot of the tournaments if I'm not mistaken the players ref all self ref yeah. yeah so to avoid the 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 you know the purist from the legality of the rule and this and that boom it's not in the rules. I like and, and and that was a very very intelligent uh, thing on their part. So, gents, let's talk about Carrie. Um, one of my one of my one of the questions was how I guess I'll just ask to quote the movie Grease or Born to Handjive. How low can you go? <laughs> how low can you go? <laughs> so, <clears throat> this is always a, a point of contention, right? Because FIVB is trying to eliminate the catch ball altogether, especially on hand setting. So in the AVP, if we're going to go more towards high and quick, let the little bobbles go, we're also going to try to eliminate you know, the, the, the old school deep dish set, right? Okay. Little so, pizza hut. Right. So what we're, what we're looking for nowadays is two different directions is an automatic. So if you're, if you're contacting the ball going down and then up, automatic whistle yeah discontinue right Right. it's like a discontinue if you're taking the ball here you're coming sideways with it and then letting it go that's a catch we're calling that and then also remember that the point of contact does not matter some some players will take the ball over their head some people will take it at chin level and some will actually contact the ball maybe even uh at their neck area or their chest area Mm. right so contact point coming in, coming out. Now, if you go watch, say, NCAA, you'll see them actually hold the ball quite a bit longer than the pros do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we're trying to get down to and, and trying to eliminate that there. Because if they have any aspirations of playing at a higher level, they're going to have to get it out quicker as well. Right. So that's what we're looking for. And then you can also look at the elbows too. So if someone's taking the ball here, it's kind of hard to bring the ball down without your elbows moving, right? So if you if they bring the ball down, your elbows are moving down too, right? So high and quick, elbows stay. You can look at the elbows as a point of reference also for catching the ball. And then also what's the difference between a hitch and a catch, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of players who will have a slight hitch, meaning there'll be a, a pause in their hands before they let it go. And then there'll be some who actually bring the ball down old school deep dish style. Right. So I think we're still, the hitch is still okay as long as it comes out. And then, um, and me and Matt and a lot of the same pages on, we'll give you one, but not the other. And I'll kind of let Matt explain like what that means as far as our philosophy. Yeah. So kind of, if you got a player that's taking the ball high and they're up on their forehead and the ball just comes out super quick, you're going to have a little bit of spin because you're not going to over control the ball. Right. But if I don't want to, I'll, I'll just throw a name out there. You got someone like a K spear who definitively has that downward motion kind of that we were talking about. And then if he has any little bobble, well, now you've done a little bit of both the catch and the double. So we got to call one or the other. Right. Wow. And so it's people kind of get upset. Like we had a player ask this weekend, well, she's taking the ball from her chest every single time. Okay. Is that illegal that she started there? She's not fully extending her arms or anything like that. So just because you start with it lower doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be a catch ball no matter what. It's about how long you have it. Kind of like Troy said, are you going multiple directions with it? Um, 
is it that hitch versus that catch that sort of thing so you know it's it it it's hard to kind of put into words unless you're having a full long discussion and you have a little bit of video to kind of say, yes, that is the definition of a catcher. That is what we're looking for when we're looking for doubles kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I definitely agree that it's not how low you start. Like the girl you're talking about taking the ball from her chest, right? Um, okay. Is she starting from her chest? Is she taking it from her chest and then bringing it down to her belly button and then back up? Right? That that might be a carry, <laughs> or, or just that's, that's a lift. That's a discontinuation, token, right? If you if yeah. you're starting from your chest and then you're extending your arms all the way, right, all the way out, then yeah, you're holding on to that ball pretty long, right? Whereas if you're just starting low and coming out quick and you're releasing it by the time you get to your eyeballs or mm. even your nose then that's the same distance as if you start on your forehead and extend your arms the rest of the way. When did you guys notice um, the uptick in this conversation about hands? Uh, right? I mean, this look, whether you're a purist or an old school catch and throw guy, whether you're, you know, um, quick release guy from New York or New Jersey, um, I think the last three years, this has been more of a conversation. Why? For for me, it was last year because the FIVB was getting way more strict on the hands okay. and it was starting to trickle down. And then we had conversations within our cadre of the AVP of what, what are we supposed to call and what are we not supposed to call? Because there was a lot of confusion there. FIB was going so far the spectrum of they wanted beach setting to be kind of like indoor where you're, you're so high and quick that if you have any pause at all, they want you to call a catch. Well, that's not beach volleyball. Indoor, you don't have to deal with the elements. You don't have wind, you don't have sun, you don't have sand, you don't have sweat, you don't have any of that stuff, right? So on the beach, when you're dealing with the elements, you should be able to have that little extra time to control the ball, but not over control it. So mm -hmm. for me, I felt like it was maybe the last two years, but last year we had a lot of conversations uh, about it. Um, and I don't know how, how Matt feels about that, but that was kind of when I noticed it was, la was last year because there was a lot of confusion mm -hmm. on the players going from the tour uh, FIVB to AVP going back and forth and we're like, well, as a referee, like, what are we supposed to call? And then what do, what do they want us to call? How do the players want the game called? Right. Because right. ultimately that's, that's what we want to do is we want to call it how the players want, want it called. Matt, Matt, hold that thought for a second. I, Cause I have a question. Don't you find that ironic that you're in this outdoor scene, right? And you have sun, you have wind or whatever, and people expect this ball to be rotationless. And then you're indoor and you can just, you can give it, you can literally know karate and give it the chop. Is, is Don't you find a little irony in that, guys? De definitely. It's much more difficult to set outdoors with the elements, right? Than it is mm -hmm. indoor, but yet. But, we're, the, but, we're the, but then the quality has to be better, right? Right. You're looking for a better set in worse conditions. Yeah, I, so we, that's just ironic. I'm sorry. I just yeah, we, so we, I, we, that we, played we, a little bit. We expect a lot more out of the beach players, right? Right. Even though they have more to deal with, it's 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 tougher. Right. Well, I, I think that you got to kind of, I mean, it starts even with taking a look at the ball. What pressure do you keep the ball at for indoors? You're looking at about 4.5 PSI. When That's you're right. on the beach, you're looking at anywhere from 2.8 to 3.4. Oh, it's lower. It's it's a whole lot lower. Yeah, and that's why huh. that's why you aren't seeing hits go quite as hard. You're not seeing serves coming off the line at 70, 80 miles an hour like you will on the indoor scene. So the game in and of itself is going to be a little bit slower, and it starts with the hitting. So hitting hitting you're not hitting the ball as fast. Passing the ball because it's so much lower PSI is going to stay on your arms a little bit longer. And then setting, 
okay, we've slowed the other two aspects of the game down. Why are we now trying to speed setting up? Okay, because, you know, everything else in beach is innately going to be a little bit slower, again, because of the ball, the elements, the sand, the weather, the wind, the sun, all that stuff. So it, it, it's kind of counterintuitive to all of a sudden go, oh, no, this this has to be perfect or this has to be faster. Or, you know, let's just allow the game to kind of everything about it be just that smidge slower than what we're expecting from an indoor player. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you guys in the sense that, you know, I, I'm sorry but not sorry that someone spent 15 years learning how to catch and throw a ball just just so it doesn't spin. And, and in their mind, and only in, and, and in that regional mind, that's volleyball. That's considered real volleyball. And I, ne I never bought into that nonsense um, because once you you leave your zip code, you 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 get an education. And I'm talking. Dude, as far as refs go and as far as well-traveled human beings go, I got the right two guys for the job here, man. Do you 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 guys you guys I mean lipstick stamps on your passport, I'll bet. You know, I mean, right? Been around the world. Yeah. Uh, right? Well, Am I right both of you guys? Yeah. Well, we we appreciate that and we 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 strive to be the best referees that we can possibly be. And we also have different characteristics, I would say, and traits from the other referees that I think make us maybe more likable than others because we're younger. We're two, two of the, actually we're the two youngest. And extremely fair. On, yeah. And extremely fair. And, I, and, and the players know that. And, and living around here, and especially me being in the South Bay, I, I see the players all the time where they're practicing. We always reach out to them. They reach out to us if, if they have a tournament coming up and they want us to ref practice round because we need reps just as much as they do. And so we get to know them. And then we get to know them personally. And then and we become you know friends and acquaintances. And all of a sudden, we've gained each other's respect. And then with that, we get the player's trust too. So are we going to make mistakes? Of course we're going to make mistakes, but at least they know that, Hey, that's probably the only mistake he might make all game. And as long as you don't miss the egregious stuff and maybe we miss, you know, a small thing here or there, the players can be okay with that. Cause they know at the end of the day that we're going to call a fair game. We're going to be consistent. Matt, I, yeah. I have so much to say about this, but I need, you need to get, I mean, you got to get a word in. I'm, I could be, I could go all day. I 100% I agree. I mean, the especially the pros they're out there training how many hours a week and and so for us to kind of sit here and let's be real is the ncaa women's is that truly preparing us to go out there and ref a phil dollhauser taylor crab match hmm. no that speed no. just isn't going to be there they're not they're not as tall they're not playing as quick so tr for us especially living in southern california being able to, to go out and ref those practices and get those reps at those speeds um, and the height that they play at, seeing those touches and stuff like that, that's the best way that we can make ourselves better. Yeah. Um, so trying to put in the time the same way that the players are putting in the time so that when we get to those big events, we've had just as much practice as they have. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I think, though you say the women's is a little slower, I think as far as sixes is concerned, there's a ton of more moving parts that come into play that as far as level of difficulty, it, it offsets it. It's almost like a wash, right? It's like a push because one is moving faster and one has more moving parts. You, you know what I mean, guys? Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doc Vandermeer. Oh, okay. All right. Fine. Here it is. Ask Matthew Laveau why he never smiles. <laughs> Hold on, here it is. Here it is. Ready? Uh, all right, Matt, smile for the camera. There you go. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> He's not answering that. Good. He's not touching that. 
Um, well, go ahead. I, I, I tend to be someone, I'll be honest, I have, I have kind of a little bit more of a dry sense of humor. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll make, I'll make comments to players during a game and it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm definitely having fun out there, but, uh, you know, we always get drilled, especially indoor that, you know, we're supposed to be robots and, and I have my own personality and my personality just comes through in a different way. And I tend to do it more with words and hold that straight face. Yeah. I tend to be a poker player up there. Um, I'll smile every once in a while, you know, I, um, I've I'm seen enough Wes Anderson films. I know that you got a sense of humor. I'm more about giving an applause. If there's a great play, you know, I'll pull the whistle out of my mouth and Hey, ladies, gentlemen, that was a great play. Nice, nice hustle, whatever. Um, so, that happened this weekend too. Yeah. Oh yeah. It happened yeah. multiple times. Breath, I had yeah. the, the semifinal where we had the ball back, go back and forth on court one about 12 times between Maddie Anderson and, uh, um, Molly Turner against, uh, the two FSU girls and, you know, Hey, get out there, play, do your best and yeah. great work. But you look, I, my major in college is theater performance, and I'm also a big Wes Anderson film guy. So if you ever got cast in one of those movies, I'm like, I get it. I get oh, it. I get, I get it. <laughs> and Doc Vandermeer asked Troy why he called the net violation last weekend. You got to be more specific. <laughs> oh, we know exactly which net. Why? why well, oh. Do you have the clip? Of of the finals? No, no, no. Of the of the play that he's talking about. No, I don't. Oh, well. Yeah. As a down ref, it's our responsibility is to call the net violations. That's why I called the net violation. <laughs> <laughs> Takes care of that, right? Um, Ethan Mack asked, during a rally, if part of the line gets kicked in or out, and affects the play, what's the ruling? So it's actually written in the rule book. Uh, you play with the you play the game with the way the line starts. Mm -hmm. So if the line is moved during the rally, then we have what's called a line replacement protocol, where we can get down off the stand, put it back to where it was, um, and then it becomes a judgment at that point because you know sometimes the line will go up on its side and it's a little bit higher. So if it barely clips it as it's going out, if that ball mark is completely out, then that ball's out. Um, sometimes, but then you get it caught where you don't realize that a line might be on its edge at the beginning of a rally. And if that line gets hit while it's on edge and wasn't moved during the rally, then that play stands the way that it was. And that ball's in because it contacted the line. So you got to know if it happened during the rally or if it happened the rally before and you just didn't catch it and fix it. Nice. The only, yeah. the only time that as referees we're allowed to actually pick up the line and move it after the play is over is if the line has moved significantly during the play. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, as Matt said, however, you, when you blow that whistle and beckon for serve and then they start the rally, you have to play as the lines lay. Right. So that's why we're always flipping the line, making sure it's straight in between points. Mm -hmm. But if the line does get moved during the play, like by a player's foot and gets kicked out wide, and let's say a ball lands near that line, that is the one time that we're actually allowed to go over, pick up the line, replace it into its original position, and then we look at the ball mark and we can make a decision. No, it makes that makes complete sense. Um, and yeah, that also avoids like people like kicking the line out, <laughs> you know, or on, kicking yeah, the on, line on. out so the ball can be in or whatever. We've seen some theater like that. We've seen, I've, I've Ali, even, we've seen Ali San do that. Mm -hmm. I've even had a play where the line was 
brought in by a player approaching for it for an attack and then the ball landed where the line would have been but it completely missed the line because it was brought in by almost eight inches Wow. and so the one team is celebrating because oh that ball's out well then you go down you replace that line oh wait no that ball's actually in and it wouldn't have even hit the line if it had been where it was supposed to be I agree. And sometimes as referees, you'll see us go over and we won't actually move the line. But sometimes if we're looking at a ball mark, we might actually just pick up the line just an inch or two just to see if it actually does cut the ball mark. That way we can tell if the ball actually touched the line. Right. But we're the only but we cannot replace the line, meaning move it to a different spot unless it was moved during the rally. Can we um, dismiss the myth of backwash ball mark backwash or, or is that actually a real thing? FIVB has actually kind of determined that a lot of the balls that they were calling in because of the splash mark mm -hmm. um, while using the Hawkeye have actually been out that because of how much splash is created, it looked like it was in when right. it was in actuality out. Well, I think what they need to do to understand is that physics um, dictates that when the ball hits the sand, it doesn't stay round and hard like a bowling bowling ball or, or the Earth's globe, right? It, it eggs out. And if it eggs out, then it makes the splash a little bit more significantly truer than they're giving the splash credit for. Don't you guys agree with that? It's it's the ball's not, it's not this perfect thing that when it hits the ground, it hits, it hits the ground as a circle. It eggs out. It's going to compress. Yes, 100%, especially with how fast some of these guys are hitting the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when we when we see that splash mark, we have to kind of look at the inside edge of it, right? Because obviously the whole the ball does flatten out a little bit mm -hmm. with how hard some of these players are hitting the ball. So if while it's in contact with the ground, any part of the ball while it's elongated or flattened out mm -hmm. contacts the line, then that's in. Got it. Then that's how it should be. Um, Troy. I was just going to say exactly what he was going to say. And and sometimes it is tough to go over there when when you, it, the, it, it's so close, the ball mm -hmm. mark. And we're just trying to see if we can see that outer rim of the ball in the sand. Because if we know that that, then it was probably the ball was out. Right. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it does compress a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if you don't see it hit the line, you can't go over there and assume that it was in. Right. Right. Because a lot of times. Well, if the line moves, is, doesn't that mean it's in? Correct. And there's okay. also, and, and this is a good point you brought up, because there's times when a ball will land the ball mark will be out maybe by half an inch and the players might ask you to go look at it but if as a referee you see the ball hit the line before it hit the ground then it's then that it's in and you go with what you saw and you don't go look at the ball mark because that would basically negate the whole purpose of it right because if you go over there and look at the ball mark and it's out but you saw the ball hit the line. Yeah. Well, you then what's the point of going down there, right? So that's when you just tell the players, no, the ball hit the line before it hit the ground. Right. That's why the it's their point because the ball is in. Yeah, because so under the rules under the rules of volleyball, if it hits any part of the line, it's in, right? Is, yeah, and this kind of comes back to the whole <clears throat> line moving and why we as officials try and have the players flatten out the lines, make it so that there's no humps. Because you can have a hump that's in the line and all of a sudden it's elevating it half inch to an inch off the ground. Well, now that line is up elevated. Ball could hit that line and land an inch and a half out. But because it hit the line on its way across, that ball's in. Thank you guys so much for saying that. You're in Central Park and you're in these. I don't mean to, I don't like to categorize people, but like double B or single A games and the line moves and it. 
this stupid drunken argument like the the bulk like the sand kicked up the line and i'm like have you guys ever been to a physics physics class i dude i never even guys i never even passed science all right never mind take science or know the science i never even passed science and i can tell you that there's no way like a roll shot is going to create that much force. And there's no one in this park that's going to hit that ball that hard that's going to make the sand kick up the line. I said, have you ever seen that in a, in a real game? In a real game, guys, you know? Um, cobras. You don't see them a lot, a lot in the FIVB. It's, is it because it's not a, a, um, a smart move or is it because it's illegal? It's perfectly legal, and we call that we call it in the rule book. It's called rigid and together. So obviously, we know you can't use any finger action, right? Right. To over control the ball, tip it like we call an indoor tip, right? right. Tip it over the block. You can't do that in on the beach. So you can you can use your knuckles or you can use your fingers, but it have to be what we call rigid and together. Right. But, but not rigid indexes, right? Not something stupid like no, let me show the camera. Not this. No, no, rigid okay. and together. Got it. Both. It has to be both, mm -hmm. and that's perfectly legal. But as soon as those fingers are not together, or you put your fingerprints on the ball, that's what we call fingerprints on the ball. That's using your fingers. That's illegal. Right. Matt's like what he said. <laughs> See, I, dude, guys, I got a top and a down rough here, man. <laughs> Just like he made the call. I'm like, what are you looking at me for? He made the call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, as a player, Matt, um, have you ever gotten a yellow or red card before? <laughs> um, I I got quite a few as a player in high school. I'll leave it at that. What was your first one? You always remember your first one. My my first one was punching a pole my freshman year in oh. high school. That's it? Punching a pole? You punching break, a pole. You I, break your hand, did you? I think my parents counted. I got 33 yellows and four reds when I was in high school. And that's just oh. in high school. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I um... made, My <laughs> senior year in high school, I had a ref give me a yellow card before the match even started because he said he didn't want to deal with me that night. Oh, cool. Nice. Dude, I've had, so my so first- I, I had a reputation. Cool, I did too. <laughs> How about you, before we get to me? <laughs> no, not, not at all, zero. Oh, look at this angel. Look at this little angel. His yeah, little angel it's it's funny cards. because my high school coach sees me now mm -hmm. and he's like, wait, you're a ref now? Yeah. Uh, you must get a lot of crap. Kind of serves <laughs> you right. The same so, guy who used to despise yeah. the refs is now one of them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that well, fantastic? That's, that's the reason that I got into refing is because I was kind of like, dude, I can do it better than these guys. Yes, because that's what they say. If you think you can do a better job, you're more than welcome to. And guess what? He's doing it. <laughs> he signed up for it and you delivered. So Hey, I say that to hecklers all the time in the crowd. Yeah. I say, hey, put a whistle on your yeah. neck. Come up here. You try it. Let's do it. I, yeah. I, I've done it and I don't want to do it because it takes – a special discipline to show this heightened level of first of all let's talk about the mental guys um i'm gonna take over for a minute it takes a heightened level of concentration to not volleyball doze off you're watching a ball this and you do it so long there's kind of a natural order of things and next thing you know you get kind of dozy and then the net shakes and you're just like oh shoot i just had to put you have to punch yourself awake because that could have been a net and you missed it and then for the rest of the match, uh, you compensate by being laser focused. And that's just the mental. All right. Physically, you're standing in this one spot. 
guys, yeah, and you know, because we we all play it, and you're and you're you're like this super bodybuilder dude, and, and me, I, I'm a kid from Brooklyn, but we know that sitting in standing in one spot for an hour is ten times more taxing than moving around and diving for freaking balls and bringing them back and jumping. <laughs> Standing in one spot is the most taxing thing. I mean, you guys got to do some yoga. Uh, uh, take the wheel. <laughs> Matt's yeah, like, I'm, you go first. <laughs> you definitely got to worry about your physical fitness um, because you do spend long days out there. Obviously, you're dealing with the sun. You're dealing with the heat. Um, but as far as the mental side, the hardest part for me is, let's be real, I'm a fan of volleyball. I want to be around this sport if I wasn't. So it's forcing yourself not to get caught up, enjoying the awesomeness of a rally and realizing that you still have a responsibility to these players to, if something all of a sudden does happen, that's illegal and shouldn't be happening. Right. That you're on top of it. That yeah. yes, you can enjoy the game and you can be a fan, but you got to be ready for those one-off situations where you're needed. Hundred percent. Yep. It's sometimes it's tough standing there on that little on that stand all day long, especially when we're on those ladders that are super uncomfortable, and you see us up there for six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day. Yeah, it can get tough. And then the mental side of it, it's um, the mental. Do you ever get? Do you ever have to like punch? You ever, you ever get like punched awake? <laughs> if you know what I mean. Sometimes we almost, like Matt said we we almost, we we become a fan of the game, and we are so we enjoy we have, we have the best seat in the house, right? But then we also have a job to do. <laughs> and, so and sometimes we got to pinch ourselves and, and remind ourselves that, hey, you know, make sure you stay focused because a lot of times in a beach match, you can ref a whole match and, and nothing will ever happen. You don't need to blow your whistle. Right. Right. And from point to point, there's actually less going on in your head than, say, an indoor match where every single point in a match, you have to know what rotation both teams are in, where the setter is, what's going on. Right. So mm -hmm. a lot more going through your head on an indoor match rather than the beach. OK, make sure the you know receiving team is, is ready to go. Boom, blow the whistle for sure if they play. Um, but yeah, it's, it can be taxing being out there all day for sure. Yeah. Also understanding the players too, like indoor, you got to understand the coaches and players or whatever and this and that. Like, um, do you guys know, uh, Mario Trebich, Mario Trebich? Mm -hmm. Um, he's a referee on the East coast. Um, but before that he was the assistant coach for the U S women's team of 84 Olympics, assistant coach for the Soviet union, 88, and then the head coach for the Netherlands, 92 and 96. So the man's been involved with three silvers and a gold. So he's my mentor. He's one of my mentors, but, but now he's just like a referee. Um, and he gave me my first yellow card. He had two cards, he two cards in the air. And he told me, pick a card, which card do you want? Uh, which card do I want? Yeah. Pick which card do you want? I'm like yellow. He's like yellow. And I'm like, fine. He goes, fine. He says, you want to talk last? I said, yes. Do you want a red? Sure. So, so I've always had this um, theater, like very much like Matt. Um, there were people that would come to the gym just to see, just to see what I, <laughs> right? my relationship with the refs. But Matt, um, I want to give you the floor, but I wanted to talk about kind of knowing players and when not to get, you know, just let them, let them work it out. You know, it's not personal, this and that. As Look, for me as a coach, I've went to a point where I've gotten the yellow because I knew the yellow or even a red would make my team uh, win the match. I've had matches where I'm down and they're like, why'd you get a red or whatever and this and that. And, and the more the ref sees me do that and the more ref starts giving me yellows or this or that, he's like, I get it. Because it's one of those things where it looks like I'm costing us the game 
but I'm not. I'm, my players are like, oh, you know what? We're going to show those parents. We're going to show that ref. We're going to show that other team. You know, I, um, Matt, I had a game against Surfside. Uh, we lost the first set 25-3, and we won the next two sets. <laughs> That's yeah. never happened in my coaching or playing life. Uh, you have a thought you wanted to have. I didn't want to steer us too, too far off. Um, some players, like kind of like you said, definitely use that to motivate themselves to kind of get out of a rut. Um, I mean, there's, there's situations that that happens probably more often in the pros because they know themselves a little bit better. Um, high school and college, their players are kind of figuring themselves out and don't really know what they truly need from themselves. Um, some of them obviously do because they're playing at such a high level. Um, so you gotta, especially as a ref, you gotta know who some of those players are that are going to use that tactic to, fire themselves up and do you want to play into that game or do you want to ref the way that you continue to ref and use what got you there right yeah look sometimes you use it as a motivational thing and then sometimes you just lose your mind um todd rogers was on the, was on the podcast earlier on and i didn't get a chance to play this to tease him so for for everybody listening this is for you Oh, right here it is. Watch this. <laughs> wait, Matt, wait for it. <laughs> He's going to get to the camera. Matt, <laughs> that's for you guys. <laughs> Just yeah, wanted to share I, that I had taught on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, um, with with the with Fish and um and Castle and sorry, go ahead. No, I've actually I've seen that clip before and it's um <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah, so, so, it's it's a, it's an absolute classic and and Todd's a classy guy too. I mean, he's head coach now at Cal Poly and we see yeah. him all the time and you know he always says you know how he was always you know very respectful mm -hmm. of the refs in his mm -hmm. playing days but then you know there was this one incident that that happened but um and, and as a as a <laughs> as a referee communication is key right and as we yeah. and you can't get rattled at all as a referee that's one of the things so like having players express their emotions you you can't get emotional as a referee right you have you have to stay you know even keeled you know the entire match and there's different ways to handle different situations and mm -hmm. uh, I, and I don't give a lot of cards and, and most of the time it's because I don't feel like I need to and I know when players want to express their emotions and whatnot but you right. can you can control a match either with your cards or you can control it with your words right and I think we prefer to do it with our words and just have a nice conversation uh, and, and I think that's why we're all, we're also well respected so yeah no doubt no doubt Matt I think yeah. I think Matt's stoic face makes them yell even more it's like this guy just made the call against me and he has no emotion he doesn't feel anything <laughs> i i i've given a grand total of two red cards mine <clears throat> excuse me my entire officiating career mm -hmm. and so uh sorry i got kids okay so go nice i'll deal with it just sorry it's all right um, we all so I've, I've only given two red cards 
in whether it be indoor beach whatever um and both of those red cards were kind of if i don't do something about this situation then i lose my job sort right. of thing um kind of like troy said i i tend to be willing to let them express their emotions uh use my words to kind of diffuse the situation whenever possible and be like look this is just what i saw you know i'm sorry you saw it differently but do you think that you yelling at me is going to change my mind right now hmm yeah i mean how how, how many times has that has that happened right good luck with that <laughs> that's no a, that's a big no-no for us we we, we, no. we can't do that oh question um God, I forgot the person's name, but I remember the question. Has there ever been an argument that a player made that made you change your mind on the call uh, based on the rules? Off the top of my head, I would say no, because most times players come over, and it's it's our responsibility to know the rules and apply them correctly, right? Right. So most of the time, it's just over judgment, mm -hmm. and I I can't put my finger on a time when. A player come up to me and made me change a call based based on the rules right um because i would be the and i would be the first to admit if i were wrong to to say okay maybe i got that wrong let's check check the rules let's get it right ultimately that's the main goal is to get it right 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 as referees we're not out there to make get it wrong and then penalize a team because we're wrong it's like no we should be the ones getting it right and that's mm. our main goal yeah as far as changing a rule or a call because of interpreting a rule wrong, um, I I can say that I have not had that happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I will be honest that there are times where you're up on the stand and you make a call and they start arguing about it. And, you know, you start replaying the point in your mind and you're like, okay, I could see how they could see that. Or maybe I was just, you know, a split second behind or whatever. Um, we are human and we're going to make mistakes. Right. And anybody that says that they've, they've never made a mistake and gotten a call wrong is lying. Yeah. Uh, they're not being honest with themselves. They're not being honest with the players that are on the court. It's just the manner in which, okay, you realize you might've made a mistake. Are you going to let that create another mistake to where, Oh, I missed that double. Okay. I'm going to let this team have a double now. Right. And then you create that snowball effect. So it's, it's realizing that you made a mistake and kind of like the players do next play. Right. Here's an you know? example I'd like to give you guys. And this is an indoor example. And both of you guys are ref. You guys are, are not just you guys ref everywhere. Noseka indoor, probably even ref volleyball on, uh, on the fly somewhere moonlighting. Um, so here's a scenario. Guy um, is jump setting back row setter, right? He's jump setting. Talking about indoor uh, now. Yeah, indoor. So he jump sets, he's, he back sets like a five. He's above the net, right? But it's an overpass. The hitter hits the overpass, but hits the net on the follow through. So my argument with the ref was that person committed the back row violation. So the contact, my, uh, the you know, the hitter who hit the net on the follow through is, is, um, is not as... Correct, not play. in the equation correct right so my question to you guys is that a replay is that a double violation like the net and the back row attack because once he contacts it's the back row attack but once he nets it's the same thing uh help me out help me out with that call is that a replay or is that rule or, or is that ruled a back row attack it should be ruled based on the way that you're explaining it yeah. it sounds like it should be ruled a back row attack right um because once the ball enters the plane of the net and you make contact that now is a back row attack. And because they follow through into the net, right? it's whichever action happened first. Gotcha. And so unless they got the net 
with their left hand as they were making contact with the ball at Very... the same time, then you could do a replay. But if it's with the attacking hand, chances are pretty good that they they made contact with the ball before they made contact with the net, making it a back row attack. When when two violations happen on the same play, we always look for which one occurred first. Yes. And that's ultimately what it, what it comes down to. Wow, the questions are still coming. They're coming in, man. We're, we're, we're rolling Keep now, boys. Keep firing away. Um, well, someone just Facebook. I, I just saw a, fa a Facebook um, DM. Because this is on Instagram, Facebook, and whatever. So are we, are we, this person said, can they handset clean themselves? <laughs> this is this is Hayden Ellis from Old School Volleyball. <laughs> I wasn't the best on, setter, but I can put up a clean set. On the beach, I was a I was a setter in high school, so I tend to be more of an indoor style mm -hmm. setter. I'm not not mm -hmm. quite as quite as well attuned to the beach hands right now. Yeah, I was an indoor setter too, but I think what a lot of people need to realize is that indoor setters just because it releases fast doesn't mean it's spinning. I, I mean, you you might get some occasional spin like these high pressure situations. Maybe you know maybe you're trying to hold it for the middle and then you change your mind and set a five or a back one or a red, you know, and they'll be a little bit. But for the most part, like. A lot of these quick release setters, it's not spinning, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, you see uh, the Polish team, the Poles, you know, fast release. Um, yeah. Um, is it Cantor and Flugen? Flugen, um, some really good setters, man. Some really good setters on the international scene, you know, yeah. Peruvik, Schweiner, uh, um, uh, I can go on, you know. Oh, um, and I also... You got to remember, I'm pretty close to your age, Jay. Yep. And uh, I graduated high school when it was still old school rules. It wasn't the allowing yeah. doubles on first contact, still tighter on the hands, no let serves, no libero. Yeah, no libero. Rally, rally scoring. Yep. Yeah. Side out scoring as opposed to the rally scoring. We right. played to 15. Yep. That that rule for 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 our younger guy here, Troy. Um, the, all of those rules happened the same year in 2001. The, it all uh, it, it all no, came it was, down it was girl season of 2002 right no but men's 2001 and oh, i know yeah. and i only know because it was my debut as an ncaa head coach and i'm just like great i spent my whole my whole my whole coaching career i finally get a shot and and, and now i'm gonna look incredibly bad because <laughs> i gotta adjust to this bull crap so so yeah i started playing in 88 um um i was inspired by the u.s uh team I was a big Steve Timmons fan. I, I, this look, this Jufro, this thing right here, ain't no way that's gonna be spiky. But I don't, don't think I didn't try. All right, so uh, Travis Muirwitter, all right, from the Sandcast has a question. Um, ask what American women need to do to stop getting called on lifts. <laughs> Ooh, I got five answers to that. But because I got the real McCoys in the house, take the wheel, boys. Uh, can we just start with sponsor and she's got to not make the contacts begin at her chin? Isn't that who we're talking about right now, right? We, we, we just name names here. That's who we're talking about right now. Go ahead. Yeah, so, she, so I mean, she's not making contact, but until she gets down here and then she's just coming straight up, but she's following the ball in. And so all the international officials, they get so worried about watching that downward motion. Um, does she have a little bit of a hitch? Yes. Is it worse than any other players? I don't think so. But on the international scene, so low. okay, got you. Got but you. because she does it so low, it looks worse, in my opinion, than 
some of the others. Got it. I think more of it's about perception because we don't we don't really call her on the AVP, right? Right. Because we're maybe a little bit looser. But that's the league, that. right? But the AVP is the league. Correct. And like you said, right? Check with your league. And when they, when those international refs maybe see her take the ball at her chin, maybe they just start assuming, well, that uh, that's got to be a catch, right? It's got to be a throw because it's so low. Whereas, but if you're taking the ball here and releasing the ball here, is it really a catch ball? Right. But maybe it's just the perception that, oh, well, if she's taking it that low, it must be a deep dish. But is it really a deep dish? So... Uh, <laughs> We can give advice and just say, well, maybe higher and or quicker, because mm -hmm. that's what they say, right? High and quick, high and quick, high and quick. Right. Um, but it's 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 a tough one, man. It, it really is because every ref and every ref is going to call a different game, and the interna international refs don't see as much volleyball as we see here. We see way more volleyball than they do. Tons, right? Ton at the juniors, collegiate, um, local, regional, uh, goal series, right? Matt, we can go on. Um, yeah. Well, even like us going and refing practices. Yes. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I've I've been there for those because I do the same as a commentator. I do the same thing. I I set my cam up and I just tape practices. You know, one of my favorite videos actually is Qatar versus Trevor and Try. In the match, there was no money on the line. There was that was that was before they went to Mexico, right? Yeah, so like a year or so. Just ago? beating yeah. there's four guys beating the living hell out of each other for 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 uh, for pride, you know, to win. To com I mean, game three became more about competing, and the first mm -hmm. two sets you could clearly see they were working some stuff out. But you know, I'm I'm yeah. actually doing mother load, so um, so you're gonna see me out. And, I mean, and yeah. on the international scene, the point of emphasis is always on the catch balls, right? And they're under a microscope every match because mm -hmm. you're gonna have a delegate, which is your head ref, sitting mm -hmm. there at every single match watching you, and then after the match is over, they're gonna ask you, well, why didn't you call that? So they probably feel a lot more pressure to call it, whereas it's not so much here on the ABP, because obviously we want we want them to play, we want the crowd to be entertained. And as long as it's not egregious, well, why are we calling it? If it's marginal, we're, we're probably going to let it go. 100%. Matt? Yeah, I mean, we have we have a couple of officials that are going around. And mind you, we are getting watched on every play. Obviously, there's tons of video cameras. But we do follow a slightly different rule book. And so, you know, different league, different rules. We're not calling what they call in the FIVB. And are we ever going to get to that point? Who right. knows? Yeah. It's it's not us up to, up to us to decide at this point in time right now, but it's, you know, I mean, something that we really got to look at. Do you have two different setting styles for whether you're playing AVP or whether you're playing FIVB? Right. And I would like to, uh, par um, top off on, um, continue on that and just say this one thing we, we talked about checking with your league. If you know you're going into this certain league where, the hands are there are, are not necessarily catch friendly and the rest aren't catch friendly. You train for it. You, you guys, and this is sponsored. This is all of you guys from me or whatever. And I'll just say it because I'm a, the Brooklyn way. You, you're professionals. You're professionals. You're playing in a professional tournament. That is a different professional league. They have different professional rules and you make the adjustments. This, this whole no fair fairness is a place where we judge pigs guys, you know, no, Right. And again, I'll go to other sports, basketball, you, um, what college and pros are different three point lines. Right. It might be the same now. I don't know. But like we were talking about the three second violation. We were talking about uh, basket interference rules and stuff like that. That's the league. That's their rules. And what they did as they 
were professionals and they adjusted to that. So welcome to the wonderful world of mainstream sports where different leagues um, adjust. Uh, Matt, I wanted to say something before we had a little fun with the lightning rounds. Uh, And you're going to love this too. Have you noticed in 2016, right? Larissa's setting and we're talking about how beautiful her hands are. Um, And in 2016... When you're, when I'm in a bar or if I'm at home or, if, you know, I'm, I'm in the command center and you, I mean, Troy's here now and he sees I got like 15 different TVs. I, I watch, I watch volleyball all the time. But when me and my wife said she's got awesome hands, everyone knew who, she, who we were talking about in 2016. Yep. <laughs> Today, I'll say she's got awesome hands and you're just like, which one? And I want you guys to talk to me about the evolution of this this conglomerate or or just this 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 emergence of talented female setters it's been, in the last six years, maybe even ten. And the evolution. I, is, I, go ahead, Matt. Matt, you go first. Do you want to start with a timeline before you go on? Before we go on, or am I right? I, I think there is a timeline. I mean, you look at how many girls are using their hands now. Um, and a, a lot of it goes back to when it started becoming a college sport and kind of realizing that the FIVB was going to change their rules a little bit. So we started loosening up just, just a little bit on the hands, not calling quite as tight on the doubles, um, still letting them have those that little bit of a downward motion. But it really does start with when it became an NCAA sport in college because then you started getting all the clubs – especially here in Southern California um, that, I mean, you got girls that are eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old that have already been playing beach volleyball with coaches like a Jake Gibb or a Holly McPeak or a um, Mike Dodd or Sinjin Smith is out there. I know. Uh, and then you got a lot of the current pros that are out there and you're getting elite level coaching at such a young age. And that wasn't the case even 10 years ago. And so that has really been the big progression as far as the hands go, in my opinion. I was going to say the exact same thing because that was only about eight years ago, right? Yeah. They, the NCA made it a real sport. Yeah. Well, I'd and, say eight years because well, I can't. The, I there, can't... Was, there was the ABCA and then the NCA came in and said, no. okay, we're going to make this an actual sport, championship sport. You count the champions, then you get the years. It's eight champions, eight years. You're right. Right. And, but we'll, and then one year, I think we didn't have because of 2020. Right. COVID, so whatever it was. And then we've seen a rapid evolution since then. Mm-hmm. And, he, and like Matt said, with the onslaught of not only the clubs, mm-hmm. you know, the MB Sands and the Spikers and all that kind of stuff, uh, but the coaches coming in and even at the collegiate level and everybody hands, 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 hands. And I mean, I, we love it. Yeah, we have to make more decisions, but it, it also accounts for a quicker game. You know, we see a lot more bump setting before now everybody's using their hands. And even on the, even on the men's side, the youth men's side, we just had a tournament, the U21-23s, mm-hmm. all the kids using their hands. Great hands, too, these kids. And I'm like, where are you guys even playing? <laughs> there, <laughs> right? There's no high school league for high school no. for, for boys mm-hmm. beach yet. You know, there's not. And, and a lot of these kids are from all over the country. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, it's, it's, getting, it's getting really good. I like it. Well, guys, you and know I, what helps? Go ahead, Matt. I think it even is obviously transferring to the international level as well. Look yeah. at what Kelly and Sarah just did and Taryn and Kristen. Um, and you know, we're, we're getting seconds and thirds in elite 16 events, uh, and how all four of those girls came through the college system. Right. So that, that kind of, to me right there shows that it is paying dividends at this point already. So I went to 2016 because I just moved here and, um, Deron Forbes, 
who's the director of beach volleyball national events, like the Get Noted Showcase, had a club team called um, Endless Summer. And I got on board with Oz Borges, um, the Cuban, the Cuban skill set Nazi. You might know who he is. Um, uh, Jeff Samuels, Pompeo Mercadante, you know, Andrew Dentler, just this great crew of guys. And everything, everyone in practice, 12, 13-year-olds using hands. And um, Matt, you'll appreciate this. What Duran was doing from 2016 to 2019, she'd have four tournaments a year called No Hands Tournaments meaning no uh, no one was going to call a double or a carry. They weren't going to let you like catch it and you know this way and just walk around and throw it up in the air. But like they 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 were motion. Yeah, they exactly. They were encouraging girls to use their hands as much as they could. And she did these four like four tournaments called No Hands. They're called the No Hands Get Notice uh not Get Notice but BVNE No Hands on uh, tournaments. Um Mikasa, our King of the Beach was our sponsor. It was Spalding and then then Mikasa and it, and it worked out great. I, I thought I just wanted to add that because no, I love that because at, at that age, especially that young, mm -hmm. I, I think girls maybe get a little fearful and timid when a ref calls them on something. Yeah, and of course, as referees, we're going to call the game differently for a twelve year old than we are for an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old. Right, because they're still learning. They're, their hand their their hands are getting stronger. They're not quite there yet, and so. But yeah, I, I, lo I love that idea because it only it, it gives them confidence, and that's what they need. Right. Who's, um, because you guys are players, I'm, I'm, I'm not ask. I may not be asking you this as this question as refs, but more as players and refs. Um, who's one of the better setters on the tour that no one talks about as far as, uh, whether it's bump setting hands, you know, shoulders to the pole technique, footwork, set location. Um, uh, I'll go first. Um, I'm biased. So I'll go Jeff Samuels. His footwork, his first step, and his ability to make a second move. Because I know a lot of people want one move to the ball, you know, as a John Mayer way and certain people. But willing to make that second move to, to make sure your hitter has a good look. I like Jeff. As uh, Now I'm asking you guys as players, not as refs. Because I know, yeah, I'm not trying to get nobody in trouble here where, where there's a wrong answer to this. If you're going to, if you want to pass, if that, if this question is the deepest damn question we're going to have on the podcast, we'll pass. But I don't think it's that deep. I don't, I don't think that he's overlooked, um, but he just, he kind of has started getting a little bit more airtime as he got older. But Billy Allen, to me, has always had one of the sweetest pairs of hands on tour. Yeah. Um, right? And obviously he didn't start winning stuff until a little bit later in his career. Um, but obviously I am a little bit biased because I did play with him in college. So, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Where did he go to school? <laughs> Say it with me. <laughs> Cal Northridge. Uh, oh, Matadors. Yeah. Yes. I think the one that kind of popped out to me was Eric Brannick. I always loved watching him play, and his his hands were so smooth. Yeah, and I was like every time he went up and he put his put his paws up, I was like, and just put my whistle in my pocket. And Eric? Skyler Del Sol is another one too. I Ooh, used to love watching Skyler, him. He's got the, he's got the smoothest Ooh. hands, man. And, and his ball would just come out with absolutely zero spin. I'll just nectar every time. Yeah, Skyler Del Sol, Rafa Rodriguez. There's another guy. Really Let, good. Let's hands. let's give someone like Travis Mootwitter yes. a little bit of credit too. He's not afraid to throw him up anywhere, anytime, mm -hmm. awkward positions. Um, it does pay dividends for him. I think he puts up a nice hittable ball. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, he's he's not the the elite level player yet. He's definitely working his way up. And he does have some very nice hands. He really does. I actually saw Kame Shock serve a, a sky ball 
there was a, a Canadian game that Travis is visiting and they were yep. trying to encourage uh, and Kane told us on the podcast actually and he's like they're screaming skyball skyball so Kane serves a skyball and Travis takes it with his hands <laughs> he takes it with his hands and when you when you mentioned Travis my it was my impulse for my mind to go that direction hey yep. let's let's plug in Ty Trambley former player another matador the guy would just like jump in the air 30 foot line and just you know Ty Trambley very good indoor and outdoor setter you know yep. former matador yeah um sponsor of course got to give her her due uh Kelly Kelly Chang uh, um, you know, d uh, really, really discovering herself every every year, becoming a better setter version of herself. You guys agree yeah, with well, that? She right? was she was also a setter in high school for mm -hmm. indoor. Oh, cool. So it's it's just kind of she's feeling more comfortable, kind of like what you said. Mm -hmm. It's just getting that comfort level up. Nice. Yeah, she. Yeah, I mean, all all the girls, especially the ones that are playing now on the on the FIB tour, they're taking those seconds and thirds. The Kelly, Sarah, yep. you know, they Kristen Nuss, yeah, they're playing so well and you know seeing them all the time down here and just encouraging them on and being like hey you know what's up you know you guys are doing great and they're like uh, you know they're and they're great people too which mm -hmm. is the which is even better and so we'd love to see you know our usa teams and shout out to andy and miles for their gold no doubt um, this this past weekend and man, dude they, that was boy so nice they did it twice they beat the norwegians twice right that yeah. was crazy that was yeah um and involved a little bit of luck but to me luck is the residue of design Right. Sometimes yeah. some team has momentum and like Christian Storm, they had momentum and Christian Storm like hit the hit the tape on match point. They had so there was a match if someone watched the finals, right? I mean the 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 poop play I didn't get to see. And I know they won that fifteen twelve the the third set, right? Am I right? Yeah. Fifteen twelve. Yeah. But like that finals as far as momentum, oof, what a wash. But back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And I I mean the and the the days of, of jump setting are here. You know, that's yeah. that's the next part of the evolution, right? Which is which means that the day of the slow release is gonna has to disappear. Oh, it has to. Right? Yeah, I mean you're gonna it's gonna look like you're playing basketball taps if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna catch and throw that and jump in here and try to jump set that, right? Mm -hmm. You guys yeah, I mean, right? You can't you can't have you guys, I, it will be like your your instinct to blow the whistle if you see someone jump in here and do and do sorry and do this. <laughs> it's taps. Yeah. We had a game, you know, growing up in the hood called taps. <laughs> your feet had to be in the air when you were when you were touching the ball, so you you had to jump in the air and then throw it in the air. So I got. I think the hard part about that whole situation now, and we were kind of talking about this as a cadre on the uh, AVP this weekend, uh -huh. is those guys are getting so good and they're they're trying to square up to the net every time they're really giving themselves three different options okay. they can swing they can set the ball over or they can set their partner right and so if they do do that set over um you got to make sure that their shoulders are square right and and then also be ready to make sure it's not a caught ball if they do set their partner or if they take a swing look out for the touches. So it's adding another element of complexity to us as officials on things that we have to watch and be mm -hmm. cognizant of in just a single play. Right. And I like that Miles tech, if you look at his technique, he's not a lot of the setter. A lot of the setters are facing the net to jump set to deceive the block. But guys, this is a copycat league. I think in a year, uh, some blockers are going to be like, he ain't, he ain't hitting that. And then trajectory-wise, because their technique is not right in the air, they're going to be setting behind the hitter's head or tight uh, and into a Andrews Mall or a Sharif or 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 a, a Andy Banesh. Um, but Miles, 
he he he's left-handed, right? So yep. he's always shoulder here, as if he's setting indoor. So it's always not. It's always going to be something where he's not. He's still deceiving the block, but at the same time, not selling out his hitter. Right, and you know, because with Andy being on his left, he yeah. can come to the net like that, mm-hmm. and at the he can look like he's setting at the very last second because he's a lefty. His mm-hmm. left hand's already behind the ball and just takes that swing and just puts it where the where the defender isn't. Yeah, and something and that I've seen them do, which is just filthy, but in a good way, is right. they're starting to take first ball over with their hands yep. and putting it at the net, which gives that second person an option to either hit it or jump set it back to the yeah. first one. So which which Andy's doing now. You know, look, it, yeah. it was it was it was partain infectious, and I think uh, Coach Mike Mike Playcheck has has a lot to do with that. I lo- I'm, um, Miles just gave me his number. I want him. Everybody's like, oh, get Miles in a podcast. Get Miles in a podcast. I'm like, the hell with that. I want I want to talk to Mike Playcheck. I want to talk to the guy Miles Partain beat to get into the main draw. His first main draw with his brother. He had to beat Playcheck and Matt Motter. Um, wow. Third round wasn't even a plan, but he had to beat his, uh, the guy who later became his coach to, to make his first main draw. But I wanted to finish by saying this, and you guys can echo this. The real story wasn't Miles and this weekend. Miles has been a great story all year and even last year and was one of my MV, you know top two picks for MVP because we had our own show with, with um, Matt Prosser and Aaron Wexler, our own award show. But Banesh was the bigger story this weekend to me. The, the guy's blocking was ridiculous. All I saw in highlights were just him, just with some monster blocks. And I didn't, I didn't get to see any of the matches live because they were playing at one o'clock in the morning our time. Or right. They were playing at seven or eight a.m. But I'm out there on the sand, you know, refing, refing yeah. the Hermosa Open. So, but I was able to go back and see some of the highlights. And yeah, just playing at a very, very high level. Yeah, Matt, he was. Andy's blocking um, was just an, an amazing. He's always been a streaky blocker, but he wasn't streaky this match. He was consistent. He was really good, man. Yeah, he, he's been a good blocker, I think, ever since he was in college when he was a middle blocker at USC. He right. just, he's always been smart, seen the game really well, and used his hands. Yep. Oh, man, just great conversation. And any questions that come in after this, too bad. <laughs> Let's see. You got any more questions for us, um, rules-wise? I think that's it. What was your first yellow? Where was your favorite place to travel? That was a, that's an interesting question. You guys, was it Stud? Was it New York? Do you like do you like the South Bay? What's I, what's one of the places you guys look forward to traveling to? I haven't traveled much. I I, I went to New Orleans last year. That was really cool. Love Coconut Beach. Mm-hmm. Going down to Bourbon Street. Um, but other than that, I haven't I haven't traveled much. Coconut for, for, Beach is awesome. Yeah, uh, and then for collegiate, of course, Queens Beach and Honolulu. That was that was a pretty good experience. That was a really cool experience. Dude, Matt. Uh. Seattle was kind of a fun event for me. Yeah. Um, just, you know, somewhere a little bit different weather that most of the players aren't used to different, te- t- different texture of sand. Um, so it, it kind of took a little while for the players to get used to when I was up there in 2019. Yeah, I, well, I'm always going to love New York. I'm, that's where I'm from. And, and, and the conglomerate, yeah. the immigration population is New always, it's, it's always going to uh, surprise you, Matt. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco, both being out there on the pier, because um, I know 2018 was the last year we did uh, San Francisco, but right. both of those, because you really, it, it isolates you because they build sandboxes out on the pier. Yep. So you get yep. a lot more wind and it, again, another new atmosphere with the circling winds because of the stadiums and stuff like that. They really swirly wind. <laughs> That's so true. So true. Yeah. But for me, I fell in love with Coconut Beach because that was my um, 
I moved here and had to start over as a coach and commentator, pay dues all over again. And my first center court finals was um, was Corian Weber beating Marciniak and Rodriguez. That's I, I call that match center court night lights. And you know how humid day in New Orleans oh, yeah. is like a great nightlife. You don't have to bundle up. It's not like brick cold. It's it's a great nightlife there when it's when it's yeah, humid. We, Hawaii year, too, New York, but go ahead. Last year we played later in the year, so I think this year right. New Orleans was in April. Yeah, last year it was May. It was like Memorial Day. Right, and, and 2021 was June. Yeah, and it was yeah, man, it was hot and humid out there. And yeah. we were playing. They pushed the start time by 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Instead of playing an a.m. and a p.m. session, they just played started everything at 3 p.m., which I think was the hottest part of the day. It's a very cool matches. But then we were playing it until 11 p.m. under the lights, and that was oh, pretty cool. That is cool. So, guys, before we go, I have something called a 60-second lightning round, all right? I'm going to start my 60-second clock, and there it is. All right, boys, all set? Mm-hmm. Yep. And let's do it. Um, Favorite comedian? Adam Sandler. Bill Burr. Nice. Um, last good book you read? Reinventing Parenting. Think and Grow Rich. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Same. Pool or beach? Beach. Beach all day. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Harry Potter. All three of my kids love it. I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> okay. Bourbon, vodka, or tequila? Scotch. Uh, whiskey. Favorite sport outside of volleyball? Tennis. Nice, football and tennis. Um, Favorite action film star growing up? Tom Cruise. I like that one. (laughs) I'm an Arnold guy, you know, (laughs) giving away my age, but go ahead. And that was in my head too, because Top Gun Maverick was just so recently. You cruising too? Yeah, I'll cruise until something else pops in my mind. All right. Any fun uh, conspiracy rabbit holes? <laughs> no. He's like, you, he, you're trying to get me to lose my job, oh, right? We, we <laughs> I'm can, supposed to lose my job? <laughs> we can go so many different ways with that, especially in, in not, especially today. But yeah. Nah, I, well, I'll go light. I'll go JFK assassination. Like, I don't think Oswald acted alone. I'm, I'm ex-military. I'm an expert in the M16 and the Beretta, and and moon landing. it's just a really, really, yeah, moon landing. What about you? Elvis ain't dead. He's on ice. They're gonna melt him down when the economy gets better. El- yeah, Elvis, Tupac, Biggie, throw them all in there. Yes, all on ice. I like it. <laughs> Suspended animation, boys. So somebody, um, let's guys plug in your IG. Anyone just want to get to to know um more about just refereeing and this and that because. I, I did some research on you guys and just Norseka and the certification and all that stuff in the process. People just might have questions about uh, things that are, with, are are in your wheelhouse. Not stalking you and talking about why you sucked or anything. <laughs> Trust me. Um, you go first. Um, Troy? Yeah. Uh, you can reach me on my Instagram, which is just my full name, at Troy Gravet. T-R-O-Y-G-R-A-V-E-T-T. Gravet. Gravet. Okay. Matty? Uh, mine is Matt Money Tips. M A T T M O N E Y T I P S. Nice. I like it, boys. All right, guys. So Matt might love you and Troy might love you, but me, 
I can't stand any of you. In fact, I'm out of here. I don't even want to be here anymore. So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad, for all of you on your desktop, for all of you on the lunch line at Starbucks, this is Matt Laveau. This is Troy Gravier. And I am Jason DeBelias. <laughs> hey, guys, so long, man. Thanks for joining me. Guys, stick with me. I'm going to hit my music. We are out of here. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.